Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey everybody, welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 40. We have a fantastic interview for everybody today. We are going to be joined by one of the most instantly recognizable drummers by his playing, in my humble opinion. The jazz great Bill Stewart will be stopping by, taking some time out of his world tour with John Schofield. Uh, So please stay tuned after this message from Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand and they are coming to a retailer near you. Los Cabos works hard to ensure they leave the world a better place than how they found it. In addition to their work with the FSC, which helps to prevent deforestation and manage environmental risks, Los Cabos Drumsticks also partners with many local and international nonprofit organizations, including Breast Cancer Can Stick It Foundation and the Canadian Cancer Society. To get involved, look for a Los Cabos pink dipped drumstick at your local music instrument retailer. With three different models to choose from and a portion of all proceeds going to support cancer research to find a cure, you might just find your new favorite drumstick. To learn more about Los Cabos drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And don't forget to ask for Los Cabos drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned before, we're going to be joined by just a a wonderful jazz drummer, Bill Stewart. Uh, Again, just instantly recognizable when you hear Bill playing the drums. Uh, very melodic player. Uh, he has just done so much great work over the years, uh, literally hundreds of albums. And Bill took some time out of his world tour with John Schofield to come on the show. Uh, we talked to him from his hotel in Seattle right before a gig. Um, and I do want to mention that his new solo record is out called Band Menu, just came out last week. Please go give that a listen and check it out. It is just a fantastic record that everybody should have in their collection. So please help me welcome to the drum shuffle, Bill Stewart. Hey, good evening, Bill. How you doing? I'm good, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, well, thank you so much for taking the time. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, I know that you are in the midst of a run with the great John Schofield. How are the shows going thus far? They're going really well. Um, it's a really nice band. Uh, Gerald Clayton is playing piano, and Vicente Archer is playing bass. And of course, I've worked with John uh, in many different projects. And and uh, uh, but this is this is uh, a fairly recent one, and there's a new record out of John that that uh, 
that we're promoting as well, or that he's promoting, and uh, and um, yeah, it's it's been really fun. So uh, we're doing our U.S. portion now. Basically, I'm on the road for uh, pretty much seven weeks straight. So it's about three weeks in the states, and then about four weeks in Europe. And between the states and Europe, I get to go back to New York for about I don't know 23 hours and like <laughs> do my laundry and stuff like that, and then straight to Europe so uh, but we're in Seattle at the moment Jazz Alley and having nice shows there and uh, we're going to go on to California and and do some shows there coming up and Portland and Phoenix and so so yeah I'm having a nice time good yeah well they said you know become a professional musician tour the world it'll be fun they said and (laughs) then you Mm, get sometimes it's not I can tell you but uh uh, as, as, as tours go, this one's going smoothly and, and well, and, and like, you know, like this, these four nights, I, we're doing four nights in Seattle, so I don't have to travel on those days. So that really helps not to have to travel every single day. But once we get to Europe, it's going to be kind of like that. Yeah, <laughs> for know, sure. A lot, of, a lot of, you know, 4 a.m. departures and stuff that just kind of beat you down a little bit. So it's not, uh, it's not all fun and games, but, um, but the music's really fun, and uh, overall, I have to say, I feel fortunate to be able to do it, you know? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I speak for our entire crowd. All of our drummers that listen, you know, week in and week out would gladly trade places with you and do a tour with John Schofield if you would allow them, you know, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I'll take their job, whatever it is. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, you know, Bill, I think one of the one of the things that I definitely want to touch on, and I know you've done a ton of these types of interviews and, and I don't want to bore you certainly, but you know, you grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, um, in the seventies. Um, and you know, dare I say that probably wasn't a hotbed for, for the jazz scene at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know that you come from a very musical family, but if you don't mind, talk a little bit about your upbringing in Iowa. Um, because I know you're, you're kind of a self-taught guy, um, and took some lessons from your dad who was a great trombone player. But if you could just kind of touch on some of those things for our audience, I'd appreciate it. Sure. Uh, well, I didn't exactly take lessons from my dad, but he uh, uh, was a band director uh, and an excellent, really great trombonist. Uh, really, um, you know, he played jazz and, you know, he had his own sound on his instrument and, and uh, you know, he was sort of a local I don't know if you'd say legend, but he was he was very respected, and as was my mother, who's a choir director, very very respected choir director, and so I grew up with a lot of music. And actually, I mean, Des Moines's not a hotbed for jazz. You're right in terms of, especially in terms of like bands coming through. We didn't get much live music coming close, you know, other than a few different things would come through, like big bands sometimes, the Woody Herman. Uh, Maynard Ferguson, you know, maybe Count Basie, stuff like that. Um, when I was growing up, which would have been, you know, in the 70s mostly. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I started out, I guess, uh, being very interested in music just because I was around it. And uh, when I must have been about five or six, uh, my uncle Scott and his family got me um, a toy set of uh, drums, which was paper mache, I think they were made out of. <laughs> and uh, 
So, so I got, you know, I got, I, 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 I basically broke those in a day or two. They, they weren't very sturdy. And, uh, but I think, uh, my parents made a note that I enjoy playing those. So my, my dad actually brought some spare drum equipment home from his, uh, from his, uh, teaching gig at the junior high school on weekends and such. And I'd start playing, uh, I'd start playing these drums. And at first I had a, like a big bass drum and a little crack cymbal and a snare drum and one mounted tom. And I think the drums, some of the drums had calf heads, even, but, uh, um, so that's what I started playing with and just playing with records around the house. And my dad did show me things like how to hold the sticks and this sort of thing, but it's not really like I had lessons with him, like we scheduled a lesson or something, but you know, he was around and he, you know, he'd hear me playing and say, Hey, you're rushing or, or something like that, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so I'm sure that was helpful. And, uh, I just sort of went from there. I played a lot with records at home and, uh, you know, went to my my dad's gigs and my mom's concerts, and so I I got really into uh, I got really into music. Yeah, you know, and you know, I guess I'm curious. You know, your dad, of course, was a jazz guy, but was it always jazz music for you, or were you like most kids and and you know did the rock and roll thing as well in in concert? You know, pardon the pun with with the jazz studies. Mm-hmm. No, rock and roll was pretty much missing from my childhood, actually, because uh, what I was into somewhat was singers and some like R&B music, like Rita Franklin we had and Ray Charles and uh, we had a Stevie Wonder record. And so I got into that side of things, too. And it was a little it seemed a little more connected to, to, to jazz to me. Uh, um, but you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with like, you know, rush records, like a lot of people my age or something. You know? sure. <laughs> uh, so, so I, I really didn't know much, much that much rock music. I knew a little bit because my, you know, it, it was around, you heard it everywhere. And also in, in Iowa, you heard if, especially if you got outside of the morning, you really heard a lot of country music. You, that was mainly what you heard. So, uh, that was around too. Um, but you know, my parents' record collection was mostly jazz, singers, classical, little blues, R&B, not so much, not so much rock music. They didn't, I don't think, you know, they didn't have a, they didn't have a Beatles record, for instance. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, and you know, that's a fair answer. And, you know, I think so many guys of, of, you know, our vintage, you're just a little bit older than I am, but so many guys mm-hmm. of our vintage, it's always, you know, the Beatles, the Stones, you, you hear that time and time again, and it's not, mm-hmm. yeah, I started with jazz and I stayed with jazz. You know, I think that's the more um, unique answer to that question, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Sure. Mm-hmm. So growing up in Iowa, um, you know, I know that that you started your college uh, years at the University of North Iowa, correct? University of Northern Iowa. That's correct. Okay. Now, when you got there, were you um, were you a music major? I guess is is what I'm getting at. Was music kind of the driving force once you started your collegiate uh, life? 
I was a music major. There was no jazz major. I think I was a music major and not a music education major, which a lot of people were there. Uh, so I spent one year there before I transferred um, out east to William Patterson College, which is where I did the rest of my stay in college. But, um, yeah, the first year was, was at UNI. Okay. Now, when you got to William Patterson, you know, I mean, I think it's well documented that that, you know, you you studied very hard there. Um, Did you immediately just just kind of plant roots after college in New York or did you travel around a bit before you really joined that scene? No, I I think I planted the roots in on the East Coast uh, even before. Uh, before I moved to Brooklyn, which was in the spring of 89, and, and that was uh, about a year after I uh, graduated college. But um, um, So toward the end of my stay at William Patterson College, uh, I was starting to work just a little bit. Um, it, was, it really helped when I, when I got a car, actually. A couple years into my stay there, I got a car, and then... Um, and then I was able to actually do gigs, you know. Uh, sure. So, because you needed to bring your drums to some gig somewhere, uh, uh, especially in those days. Um, nowadays, it seems a lot of venues have drum sets, uh, or it's more common. But uh, you know, in the late '80s, it wasn't very common. You know, had to had to uh, you know pull up with your drums and load them and take them home and pack them up. You know, all that stuff. So. Um, but I was starting to to work some on the East Coast and in New York City um, in the very late 80s, 88, yeah, from probably late 87 on. I think this, you know, segues beautifully into my next question, which is, you know, when you start working in New York um, as a jazz drummer, um, there's a billion and seven great jazz drummers in New York City. I mean, I think that's a, a fair assessment. There's a, a load of talent there. Um, yeah. I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you started getting some attention. And, and I know that there were probably two or three very seminal moments in your career that led to really big breaks. Um, walk us through that, if you don't mind. Sure. Um I think I, I first, you know, a lot of my connections were made, uh, my early connections were made when I was at William Patterson College uh, with the students, uh, you know, some of the better students there who went on to work and might recommend me for something, for instance, and also with the faculty, uh, some of the teachers there, you know, recommended me for gigs or, you know, I would end up on gigs with a few, a few of those people. Uh, so that was really a start. And, uh, you know, in the early days I was also doing things like going to after hours jam sessions and, you know, waiting around all night till three thirty to get to play and all the stuff that people do, uh, when they're new in New York, just to get known. And, uh, so, you know, sometimes I'd wait all night and not get to play <laughs> sure. that too. But, um, but I did my best to, uh, you know, get out there and I went to a lot of gigs and, uh, you know, heard other people's gigs and, you know, now and then I get to meet, meet someone or someone I knew would introduce me to someone else. And, uh, the New York thing is really, I think, 
probably still to this day, it's a, it's a gradual word of mouth thing. And sometimes it's not that gradual. If somebody comes to town and they're really dealing, then, uh, you know, word spreads actually pretty fast. So, uh, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of it is word of mouth from musicians talking about other musicians, uh, you know, Hey, I heard, I heard this guy and, uh, or I played a session with this guy or this, you know, whatever. Um, so, so it sort of works like that, I think. And that's how it was for me. Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, I think one of the, I think one of the, the comments that I hear most often about your playing is that you're a very, um, melodic drummer. And, and, you know, I know where that's coming from. Um, your work as a leader, um, you know, and, and I am not a jazz guy. I will tell you that straight up. I love jazz music, but I cannot play jazz music to save my life. Uh, it's just Fair not, yeah, yeah, it's just not a skill set that I'm equipped a of, with. A lot of kinds of music I can't play either. So, <laughs> Right. I mean, you know, I just um, I'm more comfortable in a, you know, steady backbeat, you know, whether it be country rock, pop, whatever the case may be. But I understand what people mean when they say, you know, Bill Stewart is a very melodic drummer. And and dare I say there is uh, your work as a leader has a a, a touch of avant garde um, to it as well. Where does that come from? Is that something that you picked up from your early influences, or is it just how the music comes out of your body? Uh, which part? The touch of avant-garde, you mean? Yeah, exactly. And and, and just your, your sense of melody from a percussive instrument. Well, a lot of the music I play is interactive which means that it's to me it means that I'm what my part in the music is changing a lot and uh, also spontaneously changing uh, I, I play in a lot of situations where where you know I'm improvising and it has a groove but it's in terms of uh, in terms of what I play I can you know I can change it it's different every night and you know different interactions every night and so that's different than playing music with a repetitive backbeat um because when you're playing a repetitive backbeat it's hard to create melody for instance you're just you're you're playing that beat and i and i've played gigs like that too where where i needed to you know play the same thing over and over again maybe with a little embellishment or or such but um but uh, due to the, I guess, interactive nature of the music, um, you know, that allows me to, you know, play melodies. Like when I'm playing the ride cymbal, I can play things on the toms, the snare, uh, hi hat, and and so that gives a sense of a uh, melodic um, counterpoint uh, to whatever else is going on in the music um, with a lot of the things that I tend to do including what I'm doing, for instance, this week with, uh, with John Schofield here in Seattle. So. Absolutely. The other thing that, that, you know, I think is apparently uh, obvious, um, you know, uh, with your playing style is the fact that you're one of the, the few jazz great drummers 
that plays match grip. Uh, now, is that mm-hmm. something that you've done your entire life or is it just more comfortable for you? And and did any of your instructors along the way, your your teachers that you had, uh, you know, whether in high school or college, did anybody try to switch you back to tradi- traditional grip? Uh, the the answer to that last question is no, and uh, it might be a little surprising, but no, nobody ever did. Uh, I think, you know, when I first started playing drums, uh, it, it, it was acceptable by that point to teach uh, beginning students matched grip instead of traditional. Uh, and maybe 20 years early in, earlier in history, that wouldn't have been so likely, but uh, it was actually, you know, being thought of as being the mat- the match grip would be easier for beginning students, which in fact it probably is. Um, but um, so I started with that and uh, just kept going with it, basically. Uh, and nobody, yeah, nobody along the way said, "Hey, you shouldn't do that." But um, I did notice that. You know, most most jazz drummers played the other grip at least at least some of the time, um, and um, but I was able to make do with the with the match grip, um, and it was you know I, I gradually learned that they really do sound different, and they uh, uh, you know so I can play a little bit of a traditional grip. I you know I know how to hold the stick more or less, and so if I switch to it. I, I hear this difference in sound immediately. I mean, it's, you know, I, I know what that is. Um, uh, and because of that, I can do some things with match grip that sort of approximate the sound of traditional grip. I think one of the things is the angle of the stick or the varying angle that tends to be created with um, traditional grip. Uh, I think that the stick tends to be higher off the drum, uh, with traditional grip and match grip, and I think that's one of the things that makes it sound different. Uh, maybe the main thing. Um, so um, there was a, there was a time. Uh, well, when I was at William Patterson College, I, I think it was my last year or so. I asked my teacher Horace Arnold to help me learn uh, traditional grip. Uh, so he showed me some things uh, in terms of just holding the stick. And uh, and said, well, you know, this player plays it like this, and this player is more like this, you know, like little different variations on traditional grip that you might see. Um, so I learned a little bit about it that way and started practicing it some, but I never really got good at it so I could really use it on gigs. So, so I never did. And then I think there was a point later after I'd already, uh, after my career had really you know, started uh, where I where I started, uh, you know, trying to trying to learn traditional grip as well. But uh, certain things I could never do very well. Like I could never play a press roll well with it, for instance. Uh, so, um, so I think I, I've just stuck with the traditional grip for, for, for I mean, the match grip for for better or worse. Uh, that that's what I use. Well, I mean, it, it certainly works for you. You know, I mean, I, I don't think, you know, anybody could say, oh, well, you know, I can listen to one of Bill's records and, and tell that, you know, he's playing match grip versus traditional. I mean, it all sounds like great jazz music to me, you know, I mean, so, okay. well. uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know, I guess some people could, it's just, you know, it seems like, 
uh, in the jazz world, anything that's, um, you know, I, I don't know what I'm exactly what I'm trying to say here, but if it's if it's breaking the mold, there's a lot of resistance to it until it completely uh, shatters the mold, if you will. You know, and there's been a lot of guys yeah. that have completely shattered the mold over the years. You know, Tony Williams comes to mind, um, mm-hmm. you, you know, so um, I, I just found that really interesting. And, you know, I've watched videos of your playing and even your matched grip is very um sensitive as compared to other guys that play match grip you know to my mm-hmm. eyes anyway mm-hmm. and it's just it's really amazing to me some of the sounds that you can get you know that i cannot and we're playing the exact same grip with our left hand it's it's pretty amazing so kudos to oh, you thanks. for developing that over these years you know um mm-hmm. thank you oh, i mean there are a couple there are a few examples i could point out of like jazz drummers who played match grip uh well, nowadays, Jack D. Jeanette in the last, I think, I don't know, 15 years at least has played uh, pretty much mostly all match grip. And uh, uh, and before that, he played traditional. But uh, also Max Roach in later years played almost all, all match grip. I heard him I, at Tower Records in New York, and he played all match grip in later years. Um, an older drummer uh, that, that played match grip was Cozy Cole. No, I, I didn't know that. Videos, That's cool. A couple videos of him. Um, one that was in, you know, a little later that was color, and then I saw one that was black and white, and, and both he was playing match script. So it's it's not totally unprecedented. Also, you know, players like Tony Williams, Art Blakey, Roy Haynes, you know, they would play match script some of the time. Uh, in fact, I saw a recent, uh, well, not a recent, I recently saw an Art Blakey video where it seemed like he was playing match script about getting close to half the time, you know? So, um, so it's not totally unprecedented. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, it still, still seems that most, most jazz drummers play, play traditional, uh, at least some of the time. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I, I didn't know that about cozy, but that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's uh, good information. We all learned something today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Bill, who are some of your big influences, uh, both, you know, growing up as a, as a young drummer and, and how about, you know, give us some of your favorite contemporaries today? Sure. Um, well, um, I started out listening to a lot of records. Um, so I, I would, I would listen to the records, but I would also read the record jackets, uh, and, you know, read who's the drummer and who's the bass player. And so I would memorize a lot of that information. But so I got to know different players. Uh, one of the first uh, records I had, I think it might have been the first jazz record I had that was my own record, like it was I owned the record, <laughs> had my name on it, uh, was Quincy Jones' Walking in Space. And uh, that had uh, two drummers, Grady Tate and Bernard Purdy on it. And yeah. uh, I became fans of both of those guys and listened to stuff they did and they were on a lot of records in those days which would have been in the mid 70s uh so um and this is in in addition to hearing like uh maybe a few local people there's drummer and a very good friend of my family's uh named jim eckloff who i heard play 
with my dad, for instance. He was someone I heard early on, and and probably, yeah, he was definitely the person uh, I heard most in Des Moines uh, play. Um, and then um, everything else after that was more like um, just, you know, listening to records, adding, you know, discovering new people that I didn't know. And so, uh, you know, from Bernard Purdy and Grady Tate, I, you know, got into Jack D. Jeanette and I got into, you know, different people, Idris Muhammad and uh, different people that I heard. Um, um, and not too long after that, I, I was into, uh, you know, Tony Williams and different things, Roy Haynes, um, um, Billy Joe Jones, um, Elvin Jones, and I mean, all sorts of people like that. And I mean, I could probably sit here and name 40 more drummers that I feel influenced by in some maybe small way, but uh, I don't know if we have time for all of that. But <laughs> but there's, yeah, there's just so many different different people uh, I've listened to and gotten maybe a little something from. And uh, so I'm, I'm a music fan, you know, as well as, you know, just a, a musician as well. So... Uh, absolutely well i mean i think you know and this has been discussed on on my show anyway um you know just time and time again there is never a drummer that i see play live or or listen to one of their recordings that i don't steal something you know just some little thing it can be something very very minute um Mm -hmm. and incorporated into my own playing or at least try to you know as i Mm -hmm. practice etc um and what's really cool about drummers and i've said this a million times is is we always give credit you know i i can say hey you know i i rip this lick off of, I don't know, Mitch Mitchell, you know, and I give credit there. Um, and, and we kind of poke fun at guitarists on the drum shuffle, you know, guitarists will say, Oh no, no, no. I invented that note, <laughs> you know? So, um, but you know, I mean, I think drummers, we all have just this huge potpourri of, of influences that we pull from. Um, and even though I'm self-admittedly not a jazz player, there are things that I certainly picked up from guys like Art Blakey and Joe Morello and just watching sure. them play that, that, oh, mm-hmm. I never thought of doing that, which is what's really cool about uh, us drummers, I think, anyway. Yeah, and then I think, you know, your experience, uh, the different things that you hear, that's, part of what makes, you know, you sound more like you to your, you know, unique set of experiences. Yeah, without a doubt. Who are some of uh, your your favorite drummers today, your contemporaries? Who who are you listening to that you say, wow, that's really good stuff? Uh, let's see, of my contemporaries, uh, there's so many great players now. Uh, you know, uh, people like... I mean, people that aren't so far from my age, I would say, like like Brian Blade and Jeff Ballard, and uh, probably forget somebody really important, uh, Greg Hutchinson. Um, you know, there's and there's a lot of younger players that are really good too, like Marcus Gilmore and Kendrick Scott and different people. Um, um, I'm trying to think who else. Um, all sorts of different people who do all different things. Tyshawn Sori is another interesting musician, writes music, plays great drums. Uh, um, 
you know, uh, Dan Weiss is doing interesting things like some of his solo records with the independents are amazing. Um, um, there's also all sorts of people doing interesting things. I don't know if I could think of all of them off the top of my head. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> that's, a, that's a start. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, certainly not trying to put you on the spot at all. You know, I, I was just hoping maybe you would turn me on to some new stuff to listen to. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I had yeah. an ulterior motive there. Um, you know, there is just so much, you know, wonderful music out there. And I, I think it's, you know, a good news, bad news sort of scenario. The good news is anybody can make a record today. The bad news is anybody can make a record today. You know, it's, <laughs> you, you know, I'm just overwhelmed by the, the choices that are out there, quite honestly. You know, it's and sometimes you miss the next great thing just because it's in, you know, it's one tiny drop of water in a sea of music that comes out each week. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, everybody's more. Yeah, more or less in the <laughs> not the same boat exactly, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. Every, everybody has a uh, their their CD is their business card now. So if if it's even a CD, so uh, it might be a you know download card or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, I I tend to be a physical media sort of guy, says the podcast host, right? But I you know, mm-hmm. I I don't feel like I own music until I have it on, you know, some sort of physical format, whether it be a compact disc or, you know, I I've gotten back into vinyl and, you know, you and I grew up very uh, in a very similar situation in that I have to read the the liner notes. You know, I just feel like it's not the the process of listening to music isn't complete until you've read, you know, who produced it, where was it recorded? And, and, you know, I just geek out on that stuff. I love knowing that information. Well, yeah, I think I I miss not having that information on, say, iTunes. Uh, Yeah, I miss miss that as well, because I want to know those things, too. I want to know who wrote the tune and you know, who's, who's the bass player and that kind of thing. Absolutely. Well, and you've mentioned, you know, writing uh, a couple of times. So I I do want to at least uh, pick your brain if I may. Uh, I know that you're also a a good piano player and that's how you compose a lot of the stuff that you do as a band leader. Is that something that you picked up as a child as well? Or is that something that, that came later in life? Um, I pretty much, I think I almost threw it away as a child because, uh, I had, um, piano lessons when I was, a, I don't know, uh, maybe fourth, fifth grade in that area. And, um, I might've had it for a couple of years, some piano lessons and, um, I didn't practice enough. I didn't practice regularly, so I didn't get very good and I didn't really have the discipline to. Or, or I didn't have the discipline to deal with it at that time, or just the love of doing it, you know. Of, and it was, you know, they were classical piano lessons for the most part, and uh, uh, you know, playing things out of, you know, a, a book of tunes uh, for you know young students or something. And I just didn't get that into it, so uh, so I dropped it and. Um, but then when I was in college, I became interested in writing music. 
So, uh, and I was interested in the bigger picture of music, not, not just the drums. So, um, so that's when I started playing piano just to compose. And, uh, actually when I was at William Patterson college, I did have a few, some piano lessons with Jim McNeely, who's a very well-known jazz pianist and yeah. ranger. Um, and also composition lessons with Dave Samuels, uh, who's, uh, very well-known vibraphonist. Um, and, uh, so, uh, in addition to like theory classes and, and ear training and, and actually at university of Northern Iowa, I took a composition class that was sort of open-ended, but geared toward, uh, introducing, um, musicians to like modern sounds like 20th century classical music. So I studied some of that. And then when I was at William Patterson college, I studied theory, studied, you know, analyzed Brahms and Stravinsky and different things. Um, so I got into piano playing at home, especially once I had a piano in, in, in where I lived, I could, you know, sit and play and, um, so that's, that's what I do still now. I, I, I play the piano more than the drums at home, but I don't, you know, I don't perform really. I don't play for anyone's enjoyment, but, um, um, but I use it a lot to write and, and I like to just play too. Just, uh, sometimes I'll play songs out of fake book or something. I can, you know, I can sit and play a song more or less in time and, and uh, uh, but you know, not that I would recommend it to anyone, but uh, hearing it anyway. <laughs> but 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 I, I really enjoy it, and uh, it's you know it's different than playing the drums. It's quieter, for instance. Um, so you know, I like and I can play it late at night. I have a practice. I have a piano, but it has a practice pedal uh, where you the middle pedal makes the piano softer, you know, so late at night I can play some chords and this sort of thing and I, I enjoy doing that. So Sure, you can keep your jazz musician hours and not wake the family, which is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. which they all appreciate. Well, you know, I've I, and I've asked this question of other guests that are that are multi instrumentalists. Um, you know, and, and Brandon Goodwin comes to mind immediately. Um, he composes he's a great jazz drummer uh but he composes most of his band's uh, you know uh works on piano and i ask him and i'm curious how you would answer this when you sit down to write a composition that you know you're going to be performing as a drummer do you always write and compose the music thinking of it from the drummer's perspective or are you thinking of it from a pianist perspective and then, you know, come up with your drum parts after the fact? It's more that I, in most cases I come up with the drum parts to my, uh, to my uh, music after the fact. Yes. Okay. Uh, so when I write the music, it's like I'm just, I'm writing a tune, I'm writing a song, I'm writing some kind of a structure, and I might have an, in mind sort of how I'm going to play it on the drums, but uh, actually once I, I find that once I write the music and then I rehearse it, then I, I need a little time to figure out what my part is. And uh, uh, for instance, I just I recently recorded a, a, a CD of my own, and uh, um there weren't any 
you know, I wrote five new tunes and there weren't gigs in advance of recording it. Um, there were gigs after I recorded it. And, uh, that's when I discovered that I wished I'd had some gigs before, you know, because, uh, <laughs> because when I, I recorded it, I hadn't quite come up with the drum part that I would like, um, on at least one thing, uh, you know, there's a little passage in a certain section where I realized I should have, should have, uh, played it differently to let the other parts of the music come through better. Um, so, uh, so when I, when I actually rehearse the music with a band, it's almost like someone else is handing me a lead sheet, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's almost like I'm, I'm, I'm a drummer in someone's band at that point. So, so, uh, so that's when I have to work it out on the drum set in terms of orchestration. Sure. Well, I mean, I just think it's it's a different perspective. You know, someone like me who's a, a drummer through and through, you know, I mean, I can't sit down and write a song on another instrument. I can play a few chords mm -hmm. on a guitar or whatever. It, mm -hmm. I just feel like if I were sitting down to write a composition, I would I don't know that I could get out of the headspace of being a drummer long enough to write a, a truly realized piece of music, um, you know, as a pianist or as a guitarist. I would be thinking about, you know, okay, what kind of fill am I going to do going into the middle eight? I, I just think that's how my brain would work. So it, it's really interesting to me to hear you guys that play other instruments, how you compose and think about it um, and, and saying, you know, it's like being handed a lead sheet and I'm the drummer in somebody's band at that point. That's just, um, you know, it's amazing to me. It's it's a cool way of approaching it, certainly. Um, do you get, I guess, a bigger kick out of composing music and, and recording your own things as a leader or are you equally happy uh like on your tour right now, being just the drummer in, in John's band? Well, I like both things. Uh, I mean, there's something nice about hearing your music played, certainly. Uh, uh, I mean, if it sounds good to you, if it's not sounding good, maybe it's not so nice. Uh, so, um, but, you know, something that you've worked at and uh, some, you know, piece of music that you've, created uh it's 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 nice to hear that i i will say uh and i don't you know i don't mostly what i've, I've mostly played with uh, as a sideman with bands more than i've been a leader so so it's a nice treat uh but there's something uh nice about playing other piece, people's music too i mean it brings out something different in, in my playing uh depending on who i'm playing with really uh whose music it is so i i guess i like I like all of the above, really, if it's good music, if it's music that I'm into. So I'm happy playing John's tunes, and I'm happy to do mine tunes when I get a chance. Um, so it's it's kind of like that. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, Bill, I mean, obviously, you've had just a, a remarkable career. Um, you've been doing this for, for quite some time. Um, what is on the horizon for Bill Stewart? What is left for you to conquer, if anything? <laughs> conquer, I like that. I like that word. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I don't look too, too incredibly far ahead normally. Uh, but, um, 
I do have a new record out uh, that's coming out October 19th. Uh, it's the official release date, and uh, it's a trio record uh, with Walter Smith and Larry Grenadier. Uh, we just, uh, about a month ago, we did a week at the Village Vanguard, which is, a, you know, yeah, probably the world's world's most famous jazz club. So I did six nights and 12 sets with those guys there. Uh, and uh, previous to that, uh, in, in I guess it was late February, we recorded uh, this new recording. So, um, so I'm excited about that. And maybe at some point we can do some touring with that group as well. Uh, and we do, we are going to do another engagement at the Village Vanguard, but that won't be till, uh, the year 2020. Um, and, uh, in the meantime, uh, the next year or so is pretty, pretty set for me in terms of, of, of touring. Uh, I've got quite a bit of work with John Schofield and also some work, uh, with the, uh, trio that I, have been with for a long time with Larry Goldings and Peter Bernstein. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, which, is a, which is a co-led trio at this point. And, uh, so we do, we do some work in the States and Europe now and then when we can. So, uh, there's going to be both some, some work in the States and Europe coming up with that band in the next year or so. And, and, uh, even more stuff with, with Schofield, uh, over the next, nine months or so. So, uh, the immediate future is that uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of gigs, a lot of, a lot of, uh, touring. Uh, and, uh, beyond that, I just, you know, I want to keep, uh, keep writing some music and, you know, keep trying to play, play better if I can. But, um, um, yeah, as far as what, you know, what there is to conquer, I don't know. Maybe I'll do more as a leader, uh, as I get older, we'll see. Um, it's not always, I mean, it's much easier actually for me to be a sideman, uh, because in that case, mostly I show up and play the drums, you know, that, that there's a, there's something nice and easy about that, you know, whereas when you're a band leader, you've got, uh, for, for each gig, you're a band leader as composed to being a sideman, at least for me, there's like, you know, 20 more, 20 times the things to think about. Sure. If I'm doing a gig as a leader, there's really, it's really that much, especially if I'm doing my own tunes and this kind of thing. There's, there's just, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot more to think about going into each, each gig. And, and, uh, so, um, but, but I like, you know, I like doing it. So, uh, I'm going to keep, keep, keep doing some, some of my own things. Absolutely. Now, your record that's going to be released here in the next week or so, um, I'm assuming that's going to be available everywhere fine music can be found, correct? Mm, it's going to be available. Uh, it's going to be available on iTunes. It's going to be available at cdbaby.com, uh, in both, I think, digital and physical form. Uh, I guess if you want a physical CD, cdbaby.com might be the best bet. Um, I think it may be physical CD on Amazon as well, and also digital, uh, and it will be on Spotify and Sound Exchange, and that is 
it, I think. Okay. Well, we will certainly look forward to that. Um, Bill, I want to be respectful of your time because I, I know that you do have a gig here in just a few minutes. So thank you for coming on. But one of the traditions that we have here on the drum shuffle, we always ask our uh, guests for a good piece of advice uh, for other musicians and other drummers. Uh, share with us a, a good piece of advice that we can take out in into our day-to-day lives. Uh, I would say just, uh, you know, listen to keep, keep your ears open for things that, that, uh, that are interesting to you as a musician. Uh, um, you know, what we talked about uh, earlier in terms of, you know, hearing, you know, all these different things and, you know, you, you keep a memory bank of what you hear and what you're interested in. And that, that's sort of what shapes you as a musician in many ways is what, what you like and what, you know, the, your, unique, your unique combination of listening experiences and life experiences and these things kind of help you I don't know, help bring some individuality to the music, I think. Um, so I, I guess, uh, I guess, you know, keep listening for things that you like and keep working on, uh, uh, your music. I, I, I guess that would be my, my basic advice. Well, that's a darn good piece of advice from you. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Stewart. Bill, thank you so much for joining us here on the Drum Shuffle. We really do appreciate it. I wish you nothing but the best out there on this run with John and all the other things, uh, projects that you have uh, going on out there. We'll be looking for your album here in the next week or so uh, out there on CD Baby and iTunes, Amazon, etc. cetera. Uh, you are welcome mm-hmm. on this program anytime, Bill. Come back anytime and let us know what you got going on. Thanks so much, Jamie, and um, best of luck with all your music and with the, uh, you know, and continuing success with the podcast as well. Well, I really appreciate that, Bill. I hope you have a great run, a great gig tonight, and we'll talk to you very soon, sir. Thanks so much, Jamie. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for episode 40 of the Drum Shuffle. Many thanks to Bill Stewart for taking some time out of his very busy schedule to come on the show. Uh, We have some fantastic guests coming up for you over the next few weeks. Uh, So please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen in so you don't miss a single show. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Sandy Gennaro. Of course, uh, Sandy is known for his work with Cindy Lauper, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, uh, the Pat Travers Band. Uh, he has just done fantastic work over his career. And he has a, a wonderful life now as a motivational speaker as well. You are not going to want to miss this interview. I promise you that. I do want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in. We simply cannot do it without every single one of you listening week after week. So we really do appreciate it. We love hearing from you throughout the week. Our email address is the drum shuffle podcast at gmail.com. Our web address is the drum And you can find more information about me at jamieeds.com. Again, thank you for listening. We will talk to you next week. So until then, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. 